Hello and welcome to the Put a Ring on It podcast, a podcast from me, Danielle Fasternak, wedding coordinator of DP Knack Weddings. And me, Daniel Moyer of Daniel Moyer Photography. The Put a Ring on It podcast is for brides, grooms, and anyone planning a wedding who wants insider knowledge, behind the scenes stories, and downright sensible wedding planning advice. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Put a Ring on a Podcast. I'm Dan Moyer. And I'm Danielle Pasternak. And to say we are humbled and honored to have this guest chatting with us would be an understatement. Today, we are thrilled to have Catherine Hamm, publisher of GayWeddings.com, on today's episode of Put a Ring on It. And aside from her work at GayWeddings.com, which is not only an interactive planning resource, but it also offers community forums, free planning articles, and the most comprehensive wedding vendor directory available to same-sex couples, Catherine also writes speaks and consults on why same-sex weddings are meaningful and why marriage matters, which I love. She's written articles for the Huffington Post, one in particular that I really dig, which will be linked in this episode's show notes. And she's considered a valuable resource for media outlets such as the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, and CNBC. Holy cow. Catherine um, also recently co-authored a book with photographer Thea Dodds titled The New Art of Capturing Love, which we're going to talk a little bit more about today too, as well as linked to in our show notes at putteringonitpodcast.com slash 006. So we're going to be focusing today on weddings as usual, but we're really going to be diving into a conversation more about same-sex weddings too. What I love about this is that no matter how you identify, you're going to take away some really valuable knowledge. So hey, Catherine, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Before we dive in completely, we'd love it if you could just share some of your personal story with how you arrived and where you are today. Sure. Oh, that's a small question, isn't it? Loaded question. Sorry. <laughs> I love a softball. No, I, I'm, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks, y'all, for inviting me, especially exciting as you launch this project with your new podcast and get it off the ground. I'm an entrepreneur at heart, and so it's really exciting when I meet up with other professionals who are looking for creative ways to innovate in the market and showcase their talent and energy. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, I, um, you know, I, I was not supposed to be doing this. <laughs> it is not surprising in a sense because of my skill set and all of the things that have brought me to where I am today. But by the same token, this, I didn't want to be in weddings. That was not something I set out to do. Ultimately, I identify as an educator. Uh, I graduated with an undergraduate degree in psychology. Uh, and I went to go work for what was then the Discovery Channel, is now Discovery Communications. I was working in ad sales, marketing, and promotion, decided I needed something more, and started uh, teaching. And uh, through that course, I went and got a master's in social work and was educating uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, decided I needed to change speed there and then worked for women's professional soccer, the, the first league, which was really exciting. But how that relates to weddings really is only in the skill set uh, linked to the fact that I had an opportunity to join my mom, my straight mom notably, in this uh, business that she founded in 1999. Uh, we were originally boutiques for same-sex couples called twobrides.com and twogrooms.com. But we uh, acquired GayWeddings.com in 2005 and rebranded that year. And um, that was the point at which I became a full-time partner in the business. And um, I, it seems like it was just yesterday. But uh, in terms of marriage equality, it was like an eternity ago as well. And, um, you know, it really turns out that all of my social work and education skills, coupled with my ability to organize and my own personal experience, actually, as a bride, one of two brides, 
um, really contributed to some of my um, insight and experience as I got to know more people in the wedding industry. So we were very couples focused initially, uh, but then we began to receive a lot of questions from wedding professionals. And I realized that there was a need to support them as well. Uh, and uh, when we partnered with WeddingWire in 2011 to launch our co-branded directory, which has since become the most comprehensive uh, LGBTQ-friendly directory out there at more than 120,000 wedding professionals. Thank you very Ooh, much. Nice. Know, isn't that crazy? Uh, we, um, that's when I had the opportunity to do much more intensive work on a broader scale uh, with wedding professionals uh, because at the, I was speaking at conferences. I was having the opportunity to do wedding wires. And with the way that the legal landscape was changing, uh, wedding professionals were really wanting to understand how do we support couples who are beginning to come forward and um, have their weddings. Some of those were legal. Some of them were not. But uh, between 2005 and 2015, more couples than ever were coming out, uh, and that was having an impact on our families. That was having an impact on how the wedding industry was willing to um, take a look at us, um, and um, it, it was having an impact on our own community and how willing we were to put ourselves out there to do this. Because oh. obviously when, well, maybe not obviously, if you're LGBT, it's not an easy thing to come out to your family. And still today, there are people who fear being rejected by their families, or it's a difficult uh, process. So it's a really hard thing when you're really asking your family to come out in full force for a wedding, which is a very public, if you will, uh, proclamation and ritual. But you said that, Gay weddings grew to 120,000 wedding pros as of this year, as of 2016. Uh, I, I think the number is probably higher. The last time we looked at it was about um, six months ago, and it was uh, well creeping well above 120,000. Yeah, that's so a, yeah, in incredible. our catalog, yeah, that's exactly right. So we invite people to opt into gayweddings.com. We're part of the larger wedding wire network. Uh, and this is important for two reasons. Not only is it because we are able to so easily bring that much choice to couples who are looking to find wedding professionals that support LGBT couples. And this applies to not only LGBT couples, but also non-LGBT couples or straight couples who are looking for friendly, supportive wedding professionals. But the other thing that's really cool about our arrangement is that the way we have it set up is that Wedding professionals will opt in to the gayweddings.com directory if they'd like to be there, but we ask them to get their language inclusive, to get their images and albums inclusive across the entire network. Yeah. So that means that we have had a really significant impact, WeddingWire and gayweddings.com, market-wide, because what we're saying is, and this is true, same-sex couples aren't just going to find you on gayweddings.com. They're looking for you everywhere because they find sites and professionals that they feel affinity to and want to look for those services. And we've helped professionals to know in broad scale from, as Sunny likes to talk about at WeddingWire, the megaphone, which is to say <laughs> best practices, it, it includes inclusive language. And it's really mm -hmm. important that you consider that and not just think from, am I talking to LGBT couples over here and straight couples over there? Everyone is mixed in, and that truly is the modern market. I, I think you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but can you elaborate on why you think gay weddings grew so quickly and why, why it just kind of exploded and why so many people are saying, yes, we want to be a part of this, and yes, we want to be inclusive? That's a, that's a great question, um, and what's neat about it is I think it's a confluence of a number of intersecting events. So um, the first is... Um, Sort of the, the LGBT community itself, uh, 
coming to actually do more commitment ceremonies, which is what we called them back in the day. And uh, this is very DC oriented. I call it sort of the ultimate house party. You know, if a couple <laughs> decides that they want to have a, uh, and I mean that by a political or fundraising house party, if a couple <laughs> wants to, uh, you know, bring 50 people together to help celebrate their union, you have just been an example of a ritual about love that can be done in an audience full of people. And that would include other LGBT people who might not have thought about that because the the market hadn't included them, books didn't include us, and so on. Um, and so they may feel more interested in doing a meaningful ritual for their relationship, but also non-LGBT people who are friends and family and who come and are moved by this expression, which is very authentic, very meaningful, uh, and very real. And it is not done because somebody's selling something to them. It's not done because it's easy and somebody is expecting it and saying you better be engaged and when are you going to get married and so on and so forth. It's because the couple chooses to build this relationship outside of, that's the upside, outside of a lot of external pressure. Um, so that was happening. And then you had what was happening from an advocacy standpoint, Freedom to Marry and HRC uh, got very involved in the movement. In 2005, Massachusetts was the first state to legalize same-sex marriage. And there were a number of states that followed. So there were a lot of things that were happening uh, legislatively and uh, sort of politically, I guess you could say, uh, between 2005 and 2015 that also helped to move that ball. Um, and the bottom line is, really, I attribute a lot of the success and growth to couples being willing to publicly come out and celebrate their unions, followed by, I think, the group that gets the least amount of credit for moving the needle, wedding professionals. Because the wedding industry has been taking a look at this for quite some time. They have been working to figure out how to improve their practices, how to be more inclusive. And the, the attitudes of wedding professionals have actually led the way. So let me give you an example. I don't have the stats right in front of me right now. But um, it, it, we did a poll in spring of 2015, a survey, and found, I believe it was 96% of professionals that we surveyed said they supported marriage equality. They were ready wow. to work with same-sex couples. I, let me remember, they were ready to work with same-sex couples, right? So a huge number, 96%. That has been there, done that. When you look at some of the public opinion polls that were taken at the same time, um, those were about in the, I think it was low 70s, 72% for millennials. Um, it was, I believe, I want to say it, it got up to, I think Washington Post did a poll in... Uh, it might have been 2014 or early 2015 that was 60%. So six in 10 adults, um, you know, were supportive. So, um, so wedding professionals have long been much more on board. Uh, and it, it's something that's been underreported. Because basically, when, when the professionals are saying, we're here for you, we're there, we're excited about it, that's a really big allied group. That's yep. a big out group. So, you know, I can't say enough because I'm very grateful for the wedding professionals that were willing to speak with me, those that have been willing to serve couples and celebrate their unions. And so it's been an exciting time. I think, too, from a, a professional standpoint, it's about more than just um, saying that you are willing and able and happy to work with same-sex couples. It's about putting all of your material in line with that statement as well. It's about removing or potentially removing the columns of fill out the bride's information here and fill out the groom's information here because yeah. as a same-sex couple, that's that's a little bit awkward or uncomfortable when you receive that type of stuff, or it could be. Right. Well, there are some interesting levels, and let me add an interesting call. I'm trying to, now that marriage equality is here in 2016, I want to step up more 
oh, ways that we as a larger community of whether it's engaged couples or wedding professionals can help each other make these changes. And that is to um, find ways to give feedback. So an engaged couple, straight or gay, if they meet with a wedding professional that could improve that, how amazing would it be to say, wow, I would have loved to have seen that contract be more inclusive. So there are a couple of levels. And when I talk about it, I usually talk about it in the difference of being LGBT friendly versus LGBT competent or gay wedding competent. Mm -hmm. So you can do things that are like update your language from brides to brides and grooms. You can update your language in a drop-down menu or a contact form on your website that says partner one, partner two. But what happens deeper into the process? So one example might be that you've had a great conversation with the couple and you send out a, a contract, but you haven't gone more deeply into your materials and your contract is still languaged bride and groom. So you haven't sort of thought through the whole service process with them. The other thing might be, and I talk a little bit about this, well, a lot about this uh, with Thea <laughs> Dodds in our book, The New Art of Capturing Love. But, you know, from a photography standpoint, thinking about what is it that this couple needs and how do I think about what I need to ask of them? Because it's going to be immortalized in an image. And so it's either on or it's not. And if you don't get it right, then certainly for a photographer that's problematic but it is for the couple as well if you haven't captured the photograph that really for them represents the keepsake of a lifetime and if you are accustomed to always working with one person who's taller and one person that's shorter or one person in a dark suit and one person in a light colored gown you're going to find that you have some problems when you're posing two big gowns together or you're putting <laughs> two black suits next to each other or you have two people that are roughly the same size and it may even be that that couple does not care to express themselves along the intersections of overtly masculine and feminine because many same-sex couples have more play. You know, you get to pick and choose what feels more comfortable to you as an individual as, as opposed to this is what a groom does and this is what a bride does, which mm. is largely very sort of heteronormatively, very sort of masculine, feminine structured in terms of gender roles. It's very clear. Agreed. Huh. That was a very rich answer to that question. Thank you. <laughs> it's like, where to start next? Well, here, let me, I'll just, let me take it to the next level of something that I think will be interesting to your listeners and something that most people don't think about. It's one of my favorite stories from when we were out doing the book tour. And that is um, that uh, we were in Boston and um, we had a bunch of folks there and one or two straight women, one of whom was a good friend of mine, the other is a friend of hers I know, they had come, both of them had gotten married, I don't know, like 10 years previously, and they sat and listened to me talk through some of these ways in which in photography there are some traps for couples because photographers have sort of a routine that they follow of how they sort of plug and play couples in these bridegroom masculine feminine pairings and the two women came up to me after the talk and one of them said gosh you know I am seriously rethinking my wedding photography, right? And it's been like 10 years. She said, I had no idea. And the other one said, I know, me too. She said, you know, I can think of one time in my life that I've ever sat on my husband's knee and it was on my wedding day because the photographer <laughs> told me to. <laughs> they were both like up in arms, like, oh no, because what they were saying is we realized that we hired a photographer we liked. The photographer put us in these poses, but these poses didn't really reflect us. And this is why I feel like the opportunity when we have a conversation about how to better serve same-sex couples is actually really important for all couples because what's important is meeting the couple where they are, understanding who they are, understanding the dynamics of their relationship, and then capturing that. 
right? A wedding ritual should be an expression of two people coming together and designing a ritual that celebrates and puts into practice and commemorates that relationship and sort of sets its charter for the future. That's such a great point. And you, you mentioned um, the book, Catherine, that you did with Thea Dodds um, called The New Art of Capturing Love, which we are going to link to in our show notes um, for this Thank episode. You. But I I actually snagged it and read it as a, a wedding coordinator. I think it's probably more geared towards the photographers. There's a lot of like technical stuff in there, which I learned a few things. But as a coordinator, I pulled some really powerful concepts from it. One thing in particular that stuck with me um, was a was um, something you said in there, and this is a quote. It said, when it comes to capturing love, especially when a same-sex couple is the subject, rules were also made to be broken, reassembled, reinterpreted, revised, repurposed. This is the gift that same-sex couples have introduced into the wedding trends of today. Um, can we can we talk about that? I feel like that's like sure. dead on. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And this is the part that's been uh, really fun. Several years ago, you know, I started to have that understanding um, that, well, one, one, understanding that was happening, but two, part of that I realized is an important part of my message follows my fear of assimilation. So it's very easy to see. I mean, the wedding industry is a big, giant beast, and it has its own <laughs> rules and looks. I mean, you go to any blog and you can see like, oh, this is the year of the mason jar. Oh, this is going <laughs> to be what the average couple looks like, or here's what my wedding needs to look like. Yep. And there is a there is a way that the industry operates like that. Well, if we are, we have legal recognition and we begin to celebrate our relationships, how easy it is for us to sort of fall into line with that. Because ultimately, weddings are traditional and the LGBT community is more mainstream than ever. We are not the little fringe, trend-setting, underground culture that we used to be. And for a person of my age, you know, I miss a little that. I don't miss that the only place we could go to figure out who our people were was at a bar or a bookstore. But there was something special about having that community identity. And um, we end up in a situation where the wedding industry kind of is grabbing hold of us and saying, okay, here's what a bride does. Let's just duplicate that. Or this is what a groom should do. Uh, well, we're not really sure what a groom should do. So never mind those two grooms because we don't really know what to do with you yet. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, so at any rate, one of the reasons that I started to include this in part of my message is that I think it's really important for everyone to have the opportunity to create a wedding ritual that's meaningful to them and a celebration of a day that is about them and not necessarily about what wedding planners want or what family members want or what they think that the blogging world expects from them, that what's really powerful is a very authentic expression of who you are. So that's one of the reasons that we recognized some of the lessons we're learning about rethinking how to approach embracing same-sex couples can also be helpful for same-sex couples. I mean, sorry, uh, non-LGBT couples. <laughs> and mm -hmm. frankly, it's also came because I can't tell you how many times at cocktail parties when people would ask what I did. Uh, whenever I talk to a straight couple, this is here in Washington, D.C., so roughly my age group, Anytime I had either a, um, a man or the man and woman talking, so straight couples, and they were either recently engaged or had just gotten married, um, they more often than not really identified with that. They were feeling pressured, they wanted to do things differently, and they didn't feel that they had permission to do that. Yep. So if we are asking ourselves, why does this matter? What is wedding planning? What is a wedding about? Then Everything should flow from there. And to just to give you an example of how different this is, because we didn't have legal recognition, we started with the wedding, the wedding ritual. 
And now that we've come this far, we are seeing that same-sex couples structurally have more in line from a guest list standpoint to the wedding spend to, um, you know, the pomp and circumstance around all of it, the big reception, the pressure to do certain checkpoints more than ever. But we started from the ritual. We, if you hear a same-sex couple, particularly one from the past 10 years, we talked about going to get the license because the license was the whole deal. I have never heard a straight couple spend time talking about celebrating getting their marriage license. That's like a chore on the checklist uh -huh. on your way to the party. And how many straight wedding rituals have you sat through, ceremonies have you sat through that may have been a little bit formulaic and you could tell the officiant didn't really know the couple. It had some of the like basic readings and you could see where the couple was maybe trying to get some personal touches in, but they couldn't really figure out how to do that in the larger framework of what typically happens. And so it's much more about how do we plan the party? Mm -hmm. I don't mean that to be disrespectful um, or oversimplifying because I think that the ceremonies do matter to straight couples too, but I think that it's much harder for them and it is not a typical place that they start. Although again, I see plenty of exceptions to the rule, but it customarily that has not been the place that they start, which is what does this ritual mean to us and how do we want to build it so it looks like us? Mm -hmm. That comes down a lot, too, with the pros you choose to work with throughout your planning process. Um, we've mentioned it a few times already now that it's important to share that connection with your pros and feel like you can talk with them. And and if if really customizing what you want based on the things that really matter most to you as a couple, that's a conversation you need to have with your pros so that they're aware of it and they can work around the things that really matter most to you as a couple. So. Mm -hmm. I love it's that. true, although it's, it's one of those things, too, which, and this is back to why the LGBTQ ex, um, training or familiarity, the cultural competence matters, because there are some wedding professionals who, right, they're friendly, they're open, they're happy to, to work with a couple that wants to customize, but they may have no idea how to go about doing that. And so the yeah. book for photographers was kind of an illustration of that because photographers know that they have a certain set of photographs they need to capture and they have certain rules and poses they've been trained and they just implement those. You know, you wouldn't know that unless you looked at an entire body of work or you spent time in the industry recognizing that. And so that's why the, the conversation around customization and openness to that and practice doing that is important because mm -hmm. most couples don't know what they're doing. Right? They're new right. to it, so they wouldn't even know yeah. what to ask for in the first place. But that's where you've got to bring the wedding professional's background training and openness to that. Mm -hmm. So, agreed completely. One of the things you said just a couple of minutes ago was what kind of what the wedding industry wants is what the wedding industry gets. <laughs> um, and I mean, I, I completely agree with that. And it, we, we talked about this a little bit in like the pre show. Um, in typical wedding conversations, you'll hear all the time, uh, this is what a normal couple does. This is what a regular wedding is. How, how can we start moving away from that kind of talk? And I feel like that's a loaded question for you too. But how, <laughs> how can we start taking steps to yeah. move away from that other than just changing language in the contract or um, changing language on the on your website? I feel like those are those are the first steps. Is there is there like more deeper ways that we can start thinking about this? Well. It is a great question. That's a big question. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going no, full of those. <laughs> I, you know, I really, I'd say that it's a question that sits with me currently, particularly now that essentially the fight for legal rights is done, that the opportunity is in play. 
Um, and again, as I outlined at the top of the show, you know, I come at this as an educator and as a social worker. So I don't come at this as someone who dreamed of my own wedding and spent a lot of time like just loving it. And so this is what I want to do. Um, to me, what matters to me is most about how we are in relationship to one another as individuals um, and the kind of difference that we can make in the world. So to your question, uh, you know, normal, I feel like, always gets um, to be the term that falls to one and or both of the following. Uh, sort of the largest group, the majority group that shows up and is polled or um, is set by the terms reflective of the group in power. Hmm. Right. So if the wedding industry, for example, has long been um, run, supported and um, sort of influenced by white people, for example, and straight white people, if we sort of pulled that out, well, that's going to be the natural reflection of, well, that's what I see everywhere around me. Or if it is that what we see is, oh, it's all about brides and it's just brides and brides only care and we leave it at that we are sort of reinforcing that dominant group notion. And by dominant, what I mean is just that it's that larger group that is the influencing group. Right. So this is something that in my personal life, I feel expands beyond just practice as a wedding professional or as a larger, if we're speaking as an agent in the industry, there are all sorts of ways that we walk around in this world deciding who we're talking about and who matters. Uh, I have been pleased to see, for example, more recognition of diversity in the wedding industry. Um, and I believe that we still have a long way to go. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so how do we stop doing it? Well, you can talk to psychologists on and on about why we as creatures, as biological creatures, there are ways that our brains work that also further support our habits. Uh, it's how we can actually function and get through the day. Our, our, you know, I have a young son, and when he was little, watching him think about the world in categories, that that is the way he processed everything. And he huh. saw everything like, oh, okay, anyone with short hair must be a man, and anyone with um, long hair must be a female. And then there was the time where he had to figure out, oh, sometimes there are exceptions to that rule. Let me learn what that means. We would travel, and he would say, why do only white men get to fly in first class? Because what he saw was a majority of white men, businessmen, boarding first class as we would wait with the rest of the cattle call. So there is this level of reinforcement of what we see. And there is a way that we go and pull this anecdotal evidence from our experience to say, oh, well, that's normal and that's how it is. And, you know, frankly, it's like one of these things around um, when I think about the wedding industry and I think about the blogs that are out there, you know, I see more couples than ever actually designing their weddings in order to be published on blogs. So what's lost in that process? <laughs> and, you know, m the more I watch this, the more I see weddings that look exactly the same because people see something as a trend or looks really great. And so somebody does that and then everybody follows it. So that whoever is in charge of making editorial decisions largely ends up then influencing participation. Yeah. So I would say same-sex couples, we're uh, LGBT people, we are a minority of the population, but that doesn't mean that it's not a best practice to be inclusive. We may see that it's only brides participating in the larger wedding expos or interfacing in communities, but that doesn't mean that there aren't men, gay or straight, out there that want also to participate. Right. Um, and so I think part of it is having a little down-the-road vision recognizing that actually if you provide more space and you're more welcoming and inviting, you might be surprised at who comes to the party. So what I'm hearing you say is 
all couples should focus more on joy than than cultivating the perfect image. Hmm. Well, let's um, let's back it up. I said joy is awesome, but let's be honest. Some days are hard. <laughs> I prefer joy myself. <laughs> right. I think there's a lot to be joyful about in a in a wedding celebration. I think there are also stressful times, um, and um, part of this is just who I am. Um, part of it is my background. Uh, so these are my biases. I think it's really interesting as we've been talking about this for a long time. Like when Thea and I began to start this book process, which I guess it was 2012, you know, we called our, our self-publishing brand because we originally self-published the book before it was picked up, Authentic Weddings. And if you hear a lot of the marketing trends now, what people are saying generally across the board, not just in the wedding industry, is authenticity is what matters. Mm. So for me... Um, authenticity is what's really key, which is who are you? What matters to you? And if we're talking about weddings as a couple, <clears throat> if you're a wedding professional serving a couple, how do you facilitate that authentic process? It is not lost on me the challenges with divorce uh, and the other challenges to relationships in this country. Uh, it's always been that way. In fact, there used to be people that would say all sorts of cynical things about like, well, you'll finally, you know, get marriage rights much more about so you can get divorced. And I thought like, oh, that's just so not helpful. But if we are <laughs> struggling as a, as a society to figure out how to build equal relationships, particularly where we have gender stuff that makes that harder, we have a world that functions in a way that makes it harder. How do we go about defining rituals and living our lives in a way that support that mission? In other words, I sort of, when I talk to couples uh, in my planning support of them, I ask them, you know, what is your non-negotiable? What is the one thing you want to make sure is part of your day? And I try to make sure they're both on the same page or able to provide that space for one another. Compromise, welcome to the rest of your life together. <laughs> Additionally, I ask them to sort of define a mission statement for their wedding. Mm. What's the point? What do you want to accomplish? We as same-sex couples can ask a little of that and think of it that way because you actually need to have a really good reason, or at least we did, to tell your family something they didn't want to hear, to have to sit down with your grandmother. And at least in my case, we were debating what it was okay to call it. Was it going to be a wedding, a union, a commitment ceremony? Because at the very beginning, she was like, we're not calling it a wedding. That was 1999. It was a long time ago. But, you know, you better have a purpose if you're going to be willing to walk that gauntlet. Mm -hmm. uh, so we learned it, we, the LGBT community, we have learned it from, in different ways. And mm -hmm. I think everybody deserves that. And that's what I hear from a lot of the straight couples I know, too. Right. I think in your, um, in your article that you wrote for the Washington Post, you mentioned how same-sex couples may not have always had the support from their friends or their religious communities. So they were able to plan outside of that and focus on designing their union from their heart mm -hmm. versus what could be more blog worthy. Mm -hmm. So exactly. I think, I think they've, that's a, that's a challenge that that community has had to face with their families. Because I, I hear a lot from some of my clients that like, oh, I love my mom, but she's just driving me nuts <laughs> with this wedding. And mm -hmm. I think maybe something to recognize is maybe not all couples have that support from their parents or from their, 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 their communities around them. So maybe take a step back and be like, well, at least, at least she wants to help, or at least they want yeah. to be a part yeah, of it. You know, it's, that was really the, the, uh, that was, that was the silver lining during the very difficult days. And that's one of the reasons that I think, I think same sex unions began to look like they did. And that's because we were really getting to operate and plan in a vacuum. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And I could see that happening very early on. And that, and that came with great pain. I had couples tearful and upset and grieving because they had parents, you know, basically straight up saying anything from, uh, I love you, but I'm not coming to get out of this house. Uh, you know, you're not my child. I mean, it's the range, right? And, you know, frankly, and there are plenty of <laughs> stories done on this of once marriage equality came to a jurisdiction of couples same-sex couples feeling pressured by family saying, okay, are you going to get married now? Are you going to get married now? Are you going to get married now? Because really, ultimately, weddings have always been sort of a straight person's language. Mm -hmm. Right. And so parents would understand that and it would seem like that would follow the natural order of things. Mm -hmm. And that's back to that assimilation thing I was talking about. So I I feel like the days of us having these little protected um, spaces that were just about us... um, uh, and we're much more about what we wanted to do in the day as opposed to how we might be sold to or what others might have wanted from us uh, and who had what expectations. Those days are, uh, you know, we, if you've turned over that like sand and the sand timer, you know, we're down on those last few grains. And you can see it happening in the statistics showing up around what wedding trends are happening. Basically, that if we're talking about average guest size, how much it costs to have a wedding, um, or so guest list size, basically number of people we're inviting, how much it costs us to have our ceremonies and the like. Structurally speaking, our ceremonies and receptions look much more like what they do for straight couples than ever. It's just very little difference. Uh, But when you break it down to take a look at how we play with some of the gender role interfacing, wedding party participation, what we might choose to wear, that's where we still are doing some different things. But, you know, if a photographer is accustomed to doing a first look, guess what they're going to ask a couple? Well, do you want to do the first look? Should we do a reveal moment? Well, that may not be something that the couple thought of, straight or gay. But that's something that is something the wedding industry understands. That's something that the wedding industry is bringing. Uh, You know, another great example, uh, you know, 10 years ago, couples weren't, same-sex couples, weren't doing engagement photos. That wasn't a product line item. People weren't thinking about that. We, We couldn't even publish our weddings or unions or anniversaries in the newspaper. So why would you be going and doing a professional portrait session with a photographer? It just didn't really happen. Now, engagement um, sessions, which in the book, we advise couples to do it as a great way to get to know a photographer before the big day, but it's happening much more frequently. And so those line items, the ways that we are now choosing to celebrate are following much more of that larger script. Definitely. We are seeing a a bunch more gender mixed bridal parties. I think you kind of said something about that before. I mean, I photographed a ton of weddings that have had um, a man of honor or a groomsmaid or a, 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 a bridesmaid or a bridesman, all <clears throat> different kinds. And I think that's, that's you know, something that's really interesting and, and should be something that, you know, moves to be part of the norm. Right. Well, and that's what I would say. The first thing is starting with the language. So out of habit, which we all have, I'm guilty of it too. You just referenced the bridal party. Uh, And so, and actually, when you look at a lot of wedding planning tools, they build off of the bride as the presumptive customer. And so there's a lot of talk about what are the bridesmaids going to wear? What are the bridesmaids activities going to be? So one of the things we can do is first start talking about the wedding party and that each person has a wedding party. Um, One of the things that's really cool, and absolutely, this is where we see a major difference. I mean, it is one of the most statistically... um, wide, significant gaps. And this is from a data scientist at 
wedding wire who looks at this for us, the single greatest difference between straight and gay or LGBT and non-LGBT couples in wedding expression, if you will, wedding planning, is mixed gender wedding parties. And let me um, just give you a quick snapshot of what I'm talking about that. Um, in 2014, we asked couples this question. And uh, amongst straight or non-LGBT couples, 71%, so the vast majority, said that they were dividing their wedding parties by gender. So if there was a mm. female, she had all women. If there was a male, he had all men. And we found that only 14% of same-sex couples said the same. So the vast minority were dividing based on gender. That means essentially if we flip that framing, 86% of same-sex couples were mixing it up. So, you know, it's hmm. whomever your friends were, they, they weren't thinking about, oh, well, if I'm a woman, I can only have women here. They were bringing their important people into the mix. So what's interesting about that um, is the first thing I would say is why it may, we could easily leave it at, oh, well, 71%, the vast majority of straight couples divided by gender, I would ask the question about that remaining 29%. That means that there are 29% of straight couples mixing it up. That's huge, because I'll <laughs> tell you, 20 years ago, that wasn't happening. Right. Yeah. That wasn't happening. And if we look at the most recent results uh, that from a poll that we did, because we looked at that exact same question again, we saw a little bit of change amongst um, straight couples where it's actually at 74%. So still in that same ballpark, um, closer to just 26, a uh, little slight drop, but still there is a, a small group of straight couples that are, are mixing their wedding parties. Um, but it was 98% of same-sex couples this go-round. So we're still trying to look at why that variation is in place because I want to understand these numbers in the year-over-year -year change. Right. But essentially, this is something that same-sex couples recognize. Just here's how we do this. And I think straight couples see the opportunity within it. Um, and you're watching photographers get creative with it. You're watching um, whomever it is, is is supporting kind of the style look, whether it's a wedding planner or people who are involved in helping to sort out what the dress is going to be. I have seen some really exciting um, examples of wedding parties that you can't even really tell that it's a one person's wedding party per, per se. So, um, so that's a really exciting thing that we, that we see happening. Uh, and I'm watching those statistics closely because I want to see what's happening year over year with what straight couples are choosing. And I think we'll see that number grow, you know, or stay roughly where it is in terms of choosing mixed gender parties. And I think same-sex couples are probably going to tend to say, like, this is really our deal. It's really about we want to have who we want to have in our wedding party. And whether we look at that as a collective, as a couple, or whether we each pick our own best people, that that's what we do from there. That's I had um, a same-sex couple once, and that's what they called their wedding party, their best people. We had a team Judy, and we had a team Brittany. I love and it. And was, it was all mixed, and it was very cool. Love it. In another experience, too, actually had um, a straight couple who involved, um, who had a mixed-gender wedding party. And from a logistical standpoint, which is my strength, and pardon my pup bar barking upstairs, she's just putting in her two cents on the subject. But I don't blame her. From a, from a logistical standpoint, my initial thought was, well, it doesn't really change too much having a mixed gender wedding party, but it kind of does. And in two of the ways we found out the most was in the getting ready part of the day. In this case, the groom had a um, a groom's maid, so a female on the on his side, but she was forgotten from so many of the. Um, anyway. I think I, I think that your pup is probably actually going in because what she, she what she wants me to let you know is that in 2015. <laughs> 
pets were included in the ceremony yes. by, it looks like, uh, 6% of straight couples, but 10%. <laughs> so one in 10 same-sex couples actually included a pet in the ceremony. So nice. uh, it sounds They're like she kids. kind of urgently is wanting to weigh in, which perhaps means she'd like to see the number go up, that pets yep. aren't really getting their due. Um, but uh, you can talk with her about that later. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll have that discussion over over lunch, I, I think. So, but <laughs> well, I want to hear more about what you said about this, uh, the sort of interesting uh, planning right. connection that the that the mixed gender wedding party introduced for the straight couple. Yeah. So one thing in particular that we realized kept happening is on all of the most of the forms that my couple was filling out, there was a spot for the maid of honor, the best man, the bridesmaids, the groomsmen, ring bearer, flower girl. And what kept happening in, in some cases would be as they were filling it out, they would kind of forget to go back and add those people that were their grooms, maids, and their bridesmaids just because there wasn't necessarily a specific form asking for it. And sometimes if the question isn't asked, you just, you know, you're filling out all this information and at no disrespect to anybody, you just keep going and you think, oh, I need to fill that out. And you, you just forget that part of the thing. So that was one thing that we they kept experiencing a bit of a hiccup on. And then the other thing was the actual day of the wedding in the actual getting ready process. The woman who was involved in the groom's um, wedding party, she had to come over and get ready with the girls for hair and makeup. Otherwise, you know, she kind of wasn't involved in that process. So I think what I learned was that it's not about separating the parties or the teams or whatever it is. It's about bringing them together and just having a really good um a good celebration around that, but not necessarily feeling like, oh, well, I'm team Joe and I'm team, you know, Judy. So I can't, I can't cross that line. It's about kind of bringing everybody together and, yeah. and or it's, making it work. I'm, I'm, I'm team high maintenance, get ready. And yeah, I'm exactly. brush my hair and brush my teeth. Exactly. Which is, which is, and neither is like a better or worse. It's just about what fits your personality. So, oh, but you know, as a planner, mm-hmm. this actually can break down a timeline on a wedding day, which is no joke. Right. So it's really important that couples and wedding professionals talk about this, whatever it may be that's coming up, because they're, I think people really don't appreciate the work of wedding professionals. Couples don't always, because what they don't appreciate is what, what is very complicated that happens on a tight timeline, which is moving a lot of folks, a lot of food, a lot of chairs, a lot of hitting certain marks, taking the right photographs. It is, um, it's a sight to behold, actually, to be behind the scenes watching this live event production happen. And um, I know Thea, my co-author, talked to me a lot about struggling if she needed to, for example, the couple had an expectation of each person was going to have their own get ready. You can tell I'm from Texas, right? You're going to have your get ready. That, that changed what happened in the timeline. And she would find that her time would be crunched because of something else that was happening and someone else that needed a member of the couple when she couldn't be both places at once. And so it was really important to recognize that and say to the couple, this is going to change the budget because you're going to need to have two photographers cover this event. So th- right. there are very real planning implications and budget implications. When you customize, it's not a problem. But as someone you just self-identified as a logistical person, you got to like include that as you figure it. Mm-hmm. Even something as simple as the personal flowers that everybody had. So bouquets, boutonnieres, corsages, things like that. The florist just sent all of the gentlemen's boutonnieres to one location and all of the ladies' bouquets to another location. And in this case, we had two that needed to be in the opposite location. So it was a matter of getting them. wasn't a big deal. It was all taken care of. didn't ruin any day. But it was just a matter of getting those back into the right location because the florist had just assumed, well, these are all the gentlemen's boutonnieres. They go to point A and all the bouquets go to, to point B. And 
you know, all is well. And, you know, it's just, it's things like that, that you want to have those conversations. It could be too, which is, well, maybe an interesting thing would have been to create continuity with each wedding party based on the same flower, regardless of the gender, like a male Mm -hmm. set up for flowers or a female. I, you know, Mm -hmm. one of, I just say that one of a great wedding uh, party photo I saw uh, by a photographer out of California named Jody Holman, the wedding party, it was two brides and it was all women who were the best people, except for that there was a man in the mix. And so they had different things set up in terms of kind of colors and attire and so on. But my favorite part of all of it is that he's wearing a, this really nice tan suit and it's a very subtle touch, but he's holding the same bouquet that all the women are holding. Nice. Huh. I and just that's love that. I exactly. love it. I mean, Don't let anybody be, tell you that's not allowed. Right. And, and <laughs> this is the part that's really fun about same-sex couples. I mean, like my response to what you described is, I think if there were time, it would have been hilarious to actually have everybody pose with the photos, the, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the flowers they were given, mm-hmm. just because it's funny, and then you can get it fixed. But exactly. There's a level of playfulness that I think many, not all, but many same-sex couples bring because we're accustomed to recognizing that we don't always fit in the gender track. And again, Weddings are a highly gendered traditional expression and there's a lot of extra work that everybody involved has to do if you really want to personalize it. If people want to know about you, the issues that we've been talking about, topics that we've been talking about, how do they get to know more information about how to be inclusive to all communities? Where can they go? Right. It's a, that's a great question. I'm going to answer it in a couple of different ways. Um, sure. One of the great things is I get to talk to all different kinds of audiences, but one of the challenges is different audiences can find different things to me, for me in different places. The first is I would say the book, if someone is looking for resources, it doesn't matter if you're a couple, a photographer, a family member, um, a planner, we have found, and we wrote the book this way, that even though it is under a photography brand, it really is accessible to everyone. So the technical stuff that you referenced earlier, Danielle, is really somewhat minor, um, that we did write it so that every Everybody could find something they'd need out of it. And in fact, we have gotten rave reviews from couples, from wedding planners, from photographers, and especially from family members. They love this book as to give as a gift and to otherwise talk to the their loved ones about their same-sex ceremonies and so on. So, And it, it also, for families that are afraid to ask questions, they like to read this book because they don't want to ask it of the couple that they love. So they look it up in the book. Um, <laughs> So um, that is one way that any audience can kind of interact with some of what I've talked about. Um, and the lovely thing is it's got all these beautiful photos from all, so, I mean, I think it's 46 couples and 78 photographers, something nice. along those lines. So the, there's a lot of great variety to be had. If you're a wedding professional and you're interested in learning more, um, I am um, beyond publisher of gayweddings.com. I'm an education expert from WeddingWire. So through the WeddingWire education platform is a great way to um, work with me. <clears throat> and you can find, I write regularly for their pro blog. I um, do webinars with them. Um, I am available for groups to bring me in and I will do custom presentations and conversations. And you can interface with me professionally on Twitter with a handle is at made by Catherine. I spell my name K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. That's sort of my consulting um, brand. You can also interact with a larger gay weddings conversation on Twitter at gayweddings.com, C-O-M. Um, and we're on Facebook. Uh, you can find gayweddings.com by searching for it on Facebook to find my Facebook sort of professional um, sort of interface tool. Um, you can um, just look for my page. You could search, I think it's Kath Ham is the... Um, is the page ID for that. 
So say like, if you had told me when I was 16, that if you Googled my name, it would be like lesbian, gay, gay, lesbian, like all <laughs> over it. I probably would have had a heart attack on the spot, but you can Google my name and you can also see some of the other writing I've done or other presentations I've done. I'll be speaking at the um, Bridal Show Producers International Conference this year. And we'll have that conversation about the difference of calling something a bridal show versus a wedding show, I imagine. I Do I have another speaking gig lined up? Oh, I'll be at actually South by Southwest this year in March in Austin. So those of you That's that cool. are interested, I'm really excited. We're going to be talking about segmented marketing in this digital age. So I'll be talking about LGBT marketing through social media. But we've got a DJ who's facilitating the panel, someone from Nielsen, um, someone from Tumblr. It's going to be a really cool panel. So folks in the Southwest can also find me there. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being here, Catherine. Oh, are you kidding? Yes. Thank you thank for, you for so inviting much. me. I'm excited to share this with my followers, and I cool. hope they'll gain a, a few more for these conversations you'll have. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening. We hope that you learned something and came up with a few takeaways. Head to the Put a Ring on a Podcast website for show notes, all the resources we talked about in this episode at putaringonapodcast.com slash 006. Right on. And don't forget, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. So whatever works for you to listen to us, that's where we want to be. Um, hit the review button, subscribe. We want to continue bringing you awesome content that helps you play in your wedding. And for upcoming episodes, head to the Put A Ring On A Podcast website and send us your questions so we can answer them on an upcoming episode. Yeah, we're trying to put together a little bit of a Q&A episode. We've already started gathering questions from couples that are planning a wedding. So if you want to be mentioned or if you don't want to be mentioned, if you want to submit it anonymously, that's cool too. But otherwise, we will see you guys in two weeks. Thanks for listening. See ya. See ya.